Welcome once again to another fantastic episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. We help business creators like you win at the game of business and marketing so you can thrive from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion and make a difference for your community, market, and audience. Please take a moment and visit our website, www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. You'll find hundreds of episodes covering a breadth and depth of topics relevant to you as a business creator and links to subscribe via your favorite network so you get fresh episodes delivered straight to you. And now, here's today's episode. Let's get started. My name is Adam Homie. I'm your host, and I am honored once again by your wise decision to tune in and invest in yourself today. The Business Creators Radio Show takes you into the field to those places where you have the aha moments and the mastermind conversations that move you closer to your intersection of your brilliance and your passion. Sometimes you may hear ambient noise in the form of a bird chirping, a car driving by, even laughter from a nearby table if we're in a public place. Today, we're coming to you from the sumptuous living room of my Las Vegas apartment here in the hottest city in America. We don't have a $25,000 deluxe soundproofed Hollywood studio, and I urge you, if you have one, to get out of it. Get out there and go where the inspiration is. That's what we do, and we've had some interesting conversations, people dialing in from the rainforest of Colombia during a torrential downpour. We had somebody at an airport in Tel Aviv. You could hear the IDF jets screeching above as he spoke, so we have some fun with this. and. Speaking of fun, what is more fun than knowing that you will be able to exit wealthy from your business if you choose to do so? We have a very interesting person who I've been looking to get on Business Creators Radio Show for a while, and I'm so glad that our schedules finally coalesced and allowed this to happen. His name is Ryan Nidell. And let me tell you just a little bit about him. He's a general partner, CEO, board member, and entrepreneur. He's also a leading authority on improving revenue of companies by improving EBITDA, which I think is pronounced somehow, but we're going to have him clarify, through increased operational efficiency, lean manufacturing principles, ooh, agile, lean and agile, I hope mm-hmm. so, and more. He's helped with the acquisition of exit of more than 11 companies while seeing their collective revenue surpass more than $237 million. Nidal has successfully tripled the revenue of more than five companies in under two and a half years, adding an extra $950 million in valuation to these companies. So we're talking billions and billions and billions of dollars. Ryan Nidal, come on in. The weather's fine. Uh, thank you so much, Adam. I really appreciate it. What what a, an outstanding welcome to this. I feel almost ill-prepared. I am in a studio that's rather quiet. I feel like I should walk outside and pace around. <laughs> as, long as, you're in, as long as you're in, that's good. Stand up and walk around. It's also the reason why the Business Creators Radio Show is audio only. I have another podcast that does have a video component. They're actually short 15-minute interviews, and they're more spotlights than mastermind conversations. So we're having more of an in-depth chat. And I like to know that I can get up, walk around, do the raise the roof gesture when we're getting inspired. I can drink whatever the hell I want. Uh, I can be inside, outside. I can be anywhere. It doesn't really matter. But what's most important is we can be comfortable. And that's those are the situations you're in when you really have the mastermind moments. We create the aura 
and the atmosphere. Speaking of worthiness, I'm not sure I'm worthy to be in your presence, and this is my show, having read off that bio. So before we dive into some of the questions, I know there's a few things you ran by me in the green room that you want to make sure we cover, and I have a few questions too. So we're going to have some fun with this. Tell us a bit in your own words about your journey and what's brought you to where you are, as we described in the bio, serving from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion. Yeah, Adam, thanks. That's a it's a really great question as to how I got here. And yes. I'll call it I'm the quintessential accidental entrepreneur. Uh-huh. Grew, up, grew up middle America, nothing, nothing fancy. Grew up in a, a small suburb of Columbus, Ohio called Mansfield, which is famous for, of all things, the Shawshank Redemption. The movie was shot there. I that, knew it. I knew that sounded familiar. Yep. That is the one thing we're known for in that town. Grew up just salt of the earth, middle America. And one thing leads to another. I had a, a, a wealthy, what I deem to be wealthy and who I would assume to still be wealthy individual kind of take me under his wing. I started mowing his yard and taking care of some of his, his cars and property. And he started showing me that there was this whole other way to potentially live. And it wasn't intentional that he was sharing this with me. It was just exposing, right? I mean, here I am a, a 12, 13, 14 year old young man at that point, And I'm seeing, man, there's this whole other way to live life. And that eventually led itself into school for mechanical engineering, which right was math and science were easy to me. That's the only reason for, for that degree. Eventually, hop, skipped, and jumped into a startup web hosting company at, gosh, it would have been 25, 26. I knew I could sell. I didn't know anything about technology, didn't know anything about web hosting or the digital space. Came on board really as a sales consultant and Inside of 18 months, took over as president and CEO, raised a couple rounds of capital, took the company from 10,000 clients when I came on board to 580,000 clients, then sold it, gosh, 26 months into a subsidiary of GoDaddy. And so I was just, just before my 29th birthday, and I was just convinced, Adam, I had to have the Midas touch. I had to know everything under the sun. I, I thought my last name might have been Buffett. I was let me convinced. let me let me pause you for one second, uh, Mr. Buffett, so to speak. Uh, <laughs> did you just say that the company you built was acquired by GoDaddy as a subsidiary? Yes. Wow, that is really something. Uh, I have had suspicions for a while that GoDaddy is an amalgamation of several companies that it's acquired. And you just confirmed something I've suspected for a while. When you look at the various options they have for their various services and just how many of them there are, I just really don't believe they came up with that themselves. I have believed, and this is part, and this kind of leads into our conversation anyway, that they've actually bought a lot of other things that other people built and then put their own name on it, basically. I would say that's at least what they did with us. And it wasn't, yeah, it wasn't even our billing model, Adam. It was, we had some really brilliant. IT administrators that we got a grant from the state of Ohio to build a data center above the casino in Cleveland that had just been built. And so my team had really endless resources that weren't directly tied to ROI, that they uh -huh. built our own proprietary cloud provisioning infrastructure, as much of a mouthful as that is to say. And that was really what attracted uh -huh. GoDaddy to, to what we had. Our churn rate was high. There's all these things that I know now that I didn't know back then that we were doing wrong. But when it really push came to shove, all the, the 580,000 clients and at our peak, almost 50 million in revenue, the company didn't even sell for 11 million bucks, right? And there's a lot of reasons into that, which end up being one of the foundational elements as to why I got into what I'm into now. But, you know, as, as I was laughingly calling myself Mr. Buffett, or perhaps you did, 
I started a, a high-risk merchant processing company, right? Because I mm-hmm. analyzed the numbers of our business and it seemed like the banks were the only ones always making money, right? 7% fees and 10% reserve and XYZ going into things. Uh-huh. And gosh, started this high-risk merchant processing company, thought I had a bunch of good affiliate friends that were going to really watch out for me. And 18 months later, all the money I made from the exit was all gone, right? The, the business was defunct. Miscalculated ratios got hit with a lot of chargebacks and refunds, which would have been normal had I been paying attention to things. And all the money I made was, was had literally been eviscerated. So at that point, rental properties in foreclosure, cars being repossessed, selling watches, sell, like literally a, a 180 from where my life was, Adam. And I was 30, 31. So about seven years ago now. And was wow. just really one of those things of scratching my head of like, how, how did this happen? Well, now from my vantage point, it's very clear how it happened. Took my eye off the ball, had multiple relationships at the same time with different women, wasn't paying attention to what was going on with the business at all. <laughs> Thought the money was just going to fall out of thin air forever. Kind of, I could, uh, there's a, there's a lot longer list than that that I could dive into, but those are the, those are high level high points. Oh well, yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, I mean, Paul Amory's fun for a minute. <laughs> it is. Wine, women and song is, it was a good season. It just should have been a season, not a decade. So. Well, it was a long season then. I mean, uh, I mean, uh, you know, there are some places on the earth where the sun stays up for six months a year. Then you also remember it stays down for six months a year, too. <laughs> That's very true. It is very, very What true. goes up much come down. So uh, for, so here's uh, a few things that we want. And this is part of the reason why I'm so interested in having you on here is Let's say somebody has a business right now or they own an entrepreneurial venture. What are, and this is so broad, so I'm going to count on you to help me narrow it down. Maybe we can go through some examples and maybe you'll inspire me to ask some other things. But for our listeners, they're looking around right now and they see they have a business. What are some of the things they should be on the lookout for in terms of creating it to be more of a saleable asset? Yeah, Adam, absolutely. To start with, it's it's to me wanting to make yourself a non-necessary component of the business, which in my experience has been the most challenging for either businesses I've become a part of or individuals I've helped consult with, right? Because our identity is built around this business, especially if we're an entrepreneur that started from the ground up and decisions flow through us and ideas flow through us. And what that's really doing is creating a golden handcuff, I'd almost call it a golden boat anchor, that you're going yeah. to be attached to this business in perpetuity. So someone might want to buy it from you, but as they buy it from you, it's going to be for a more, than, more than likely a small amount of cash up front and earn out based off performance over a season, a, a series of probably years. Right? So really what you've done is you've worked your rear end off, you've grown this business, you've made all the decisions, and then you got yourself a boss for probably two years pay up front. Probably not the best deal. So to start with, it's to get really, really clear on the things that you absolutely have to do versus the things that you're mm-hmm. telling yourself you have to do. And then start to build systems over, I like to do just 90 day sprints there to kind of take that 12 year, 12 week year methodology and just look out over the next 18 months and realize that in 18 months, you have six quarters of time to completely revamp your business. And you can definitely inside of 18 months, pull yourself out of any day-to-day operational decisions probably any monthly planning. And you can probably really elevate yourself into a chairman of the board type of position. But in doing so, 
during that time period, right? Now we're talking about backfilling yourself out of a CEO role because the next step is going to be if you want to actually create a sellable asset, you'd want to have someone in the, the chair of power, if we call it that, that wants to come along for the, with the business of the next series of owners, right? Want to not only pull yourself out of the decision-making process or, or the necessity of that, but then put somebody else in the chair that wants to remain in the chair, which will give the buyer even more, you know, peace of mind when they're buying a business. So that's something to absolutely focus on right away are things like that. And then I like to take the business name and insert way at the end. So um, we'll take the South Sea Ventures Way is a company that I own. And we have a a living, breathing document, a binder, as archaic as it sounds, that we started to document over the last two years, everything from how do you park in the parking lot to how do you throw away the trash to how do you buy media? What are the checks and balances? So that when someone comes in to buy this entity, I can hand them, of course, a physical book, but also a digital version of the South Sea Ventures way of doing business, which what that really does is during an audit cycle of due diligence, when someone's looking to buy your business, they're, they're probably going to want to know what they're buying. So they're going to peel through all the books, all the processes, all the procedures, all the skeletons in the closet. And the more forthright you can be on the front side and say, look, here, here's literally how you could run this business if I got hit by a bus. That starts to give people pieces of a, a really solid peace of mind then not only did you think forward, but that there's not a lot of skeletons hiding because you would have uncovered them during your process documentation. Yeah. Two really critical things right off the start. Well, I I love that. Now, in my book, Groundhog Day is an event, not a business strategy. There's a section in it that I actually put in twice uh, when I was uh, pasting all the various articles I'd written together into the manuscript. I dropped it in two of the chapters. And realizing my mistake, I decided to leave it in both places. The question, the the segment, what it's about, it's asking the question as you go through your day, whether it's your business, your personal, what have you, look at what you're doing and ask, what would happen if we didn't do this at all? And it's not meant to get you to stop doing stuff. It's meant to help you identify the value of your activities and figure out which ones are actually value-adding versus which ones might be roles that were created as permanent overreactions to temporary blips in the radar. So that's one, that's one thing. And then uh, you also bring up, what was it you brought up? You know what? I candidly forget, but I'm sure I'll remember as soon as we move on to the next thing. Uh, it's, it's, it's funny. See, that's one of the beauties of podcasting is it's meta marketing. We're not scripted. It's like we're a couple of buddies hanging out. We're having a conversation here. We, you know, we kind of bounce back and forth. I say something that inspires you and vice versa. So, uh, so the next thing that uh, I would ask, you know, that I would say is, in this day and age, particularly multiple streams of income, diversification, and the idea of not putting all of your cans of cat food in one cupboard, as I like to say, some other people say eggs in one basket. Let's say somebody already has a business and they want to diversify, or let's say somebody is again, a a job ladder climber and wants to start a side hustle as a way of diversifying to get started what are some things that they may want to have on their mind? Again, we're starting with broad questions and then narrowing it in. Yeah, Adam, that is, there's a couple of things, right? Especially with you and I just having, I'll call it a fireside chat between the two of us. Yes. I think the, the I went through a season of life last season of 
tons of diversification, right? Had equity or controlling interest in, I think it was up to 17 companies. And while it sounded like it was great and while I was following the seven streams of income as a, as a multimillionaire, all the things you're supposed to do, when it really got right down to it, I realized that was just an incredible fallacy for me personally, where okay. until I could completely remove myself from any level of necessity inside of a business, I mean, I, any level of necessity, not not the perceived necessity, but the actual fact of I don't have a requirement to do something in this business. It started to become irresponsible for me to fractionalize my attention because I had three businesses specifically that were growing at 100% year over year and they had been doing so for two, three, four years at a time. Right. And so it's like, okay, why am I chasing this shiny object of doing what every other person says I need to do versus what actually makes sense now? What if I took that same amount of fractionalized energy and effort and I doubled down on the businesses that I have now that are getting the highest yield for me personally? And I sold off equity. I, I either gave back or sold off all interest in the first quarter of this year. And really doubling down is a laughable way to say it. Triple, quadruple down on these three businesses and I've seen exponential growth where I've now decided to go out instead of buying equity into new businesses or buying new businesses you know, to control on the side. I started to look at the, these main drivers, these three businesses and said, what if I went out and just acquired more market share or got more vertically integrated? What if I bought up my supply chain? What if I bought deeper distribution channels? I can take the same passion I have for you know, sifting out good deals and finding multiple streams of income, but I can apply them all to laughingly what I refer to as a mothership to more exponentially increase the enterprise value of the thing I've worked so hard at for the past four years. And it just completely shifted this fractionalized attention of spinning my wheels very fast, but going absolutely nowhere. Sure. I mean, money's coming in, right? And, and at some level, I suppose that's why we, we all do what we do. But right. what it really came down to is for me personally, what is the level of the game that I want to play at? Right. There's, and I decided that for me personally, it ends up being the billion dollar net worth game of life to me. And whether for me, as I started to model those individuals that got to that place, they all had large upfront, either trust funds or things like that, that they got to manage and grow, or they had a couple big successes before they started to fractionalize their attention. And I was like, gosh, there's been so many painful lessons other people have learned that I don't have to choose to learn them painfully as well, which then spins into the conversation around the side hustle, which I encourage all my employees to, to do this. Everybody that supports the, the vision that I have, I do think they should have a level of diversification. Don't trust me as a leader of an organization with your future. And those things that become easy. That's bold. To say, don't trust me as yeah. your sole provider. Uh, that is really bold. Um, and I don't think we've shifted far enough away from the opposite, which is place all your trust in us. Yeah. Yeah, it's, I'll tell you from my father was the vice president when uh, vice president of a company called Adelphia Cable. Adelphia Cable was a publicly traded company. He'd climbed, he's literally worked his way up from climbing telephone poles, installing fiber optic cable, all the way up to the vice president level of the organization. He walked in, um, I had had dinner at the owner's house uh, Sunday. The following Monday, 
on TV, you see the owners of Adelphia Cable being indicted federally for taking money out of the company for personal gain. And uh-huh. all of my father's future, you know, all of his income, he had been pushing in the stock because he felt like he was in control of it. And inside of a day, a, a completely eviscerated his retirement, right? He had, he had no ultimate control over that. And while I feel like I'm a good steward of, of my money and the company's resources and money, I still think it's important that people understand the power of wealth creation. I, I believe one of our core values as human beings, especially inside the companies that I own, is to leave people better than you found them. And I don't get to determine what leaving somebody better is. They get to determine that. Maybe it's making more money. Maybe it's a better skill set. Maybe it's having good conversation. Maybe it's learning how to go out and start your own business. I think that if, if I approach business that way, it has always, it's always ended up the right way for me, even if in the short term, it didn't feel like it was right. I certainly right. lose employees. They go, they go start their own businesses. That's awesome to me. Like, that's what should happen to me. If I'm pouring into people at the level that I'm capable of, especially the people that are closest to me inside an organization, and I'm paying them above market wage, and they look at me and say, I've got this great idea. Will you help me analyze it? And I tell them it's a good idea and it's going to make them more money. That's doing the right thing by a person. That's how it should be, though. And I think too often as, as CEOs or as owners, you get, I, for a season, right, the season that was pretty painful for me with, with going broke, yeah. was, was only focused on the bottom line. It was just people were disposable. It, they were just numbers. And when I've shifted that, it, even if it doesn't work out as well for the business, man, Adam, it just makes me feel better at night. Like, I feel really good when I see people that have left the company to go start their own business or left the company to go chase a dream, even if the dream didn't work, which again, gets into the fact of how do you, how do you consider that as you're listening to diversify where you're at, especially if you're working for another company right now, I think you got to start by being brutally honest with yourself. What is your actual skill set? Like when push comes to shove, what are you absolutely elite at? Not what are you okay at? What, not, not, what can you kind of get done? Like, what are you really freaking good at? Because what you go buy or diversify into, you should be really good at to give yourself the highest level uh, probability of success in the shortest amount of time. I'm good at sales, right? That's it's something I feel really comfortable in. So for me, as I look for undervalued opportunities, I know that the easiest thing for me to tweak to start with is sales. So as I look for businesses to acquire, or if I'm in your position and you're saying, yeah, I'm pretty good at sales myself, I would start to scour things like, Flippa, like websitebuilders.com. I'd look at uh, bizbuysell.com. I'd find business brokers in your area. They popped up all over the place. And just reach out and start to understand what businesses exist in the marketplace that are floundering a little bit from a sales process. Because that's something you can come in, right? And of course, we'll get into financial model and we get into SBA loans. We can get into all the different ways to finance a deal. A lot of them aren't going to be a whole bunch of cash out of your pocket, oddly enough between SBA loans, uh, creative owner financing, and maybe a little bit of cash out of your pocket. Most businesses now, especially in that baby boomer generation that's, that's looking to, to I'll say, graduate to the next season of life, they don't have a next akin to take over the business. 20% of the enterprise value of the business is typically what you can end up getting it for cash down with the rest being financed over a period of years. So, and I say typically, right, that's been my experience. Don't take that as the gospel, every deal is different. But when you look at that, that chase, that pursuit of the business that you're really good at, if you're a really good computer programmer and you, you don't feel great in the sales environment, 
don't go for an asset that's going to require you to sell all the time. Like double down on the things you're great at, or then find a partner that's great at the things you're not great at. Like it's to start with, I like a small, a small market business. So there's there's little side hustle things, Adam, that I've done that I think everybody could could pick up on. Right. You can find vending machines in every city on Facebook Marketplace or on Craigslist that don't have credit card swipers on them. As crazy as it sounds, they're a thousand bucks. You can typically get people down to about six fifty, seven hundred bucks. You buy a vending machine, you rip out the, the the guts that have the old push button numbers, and you put a credit card swiper in there with a new keypad. That's about another three hundred fifty bucks. Then you stock the the vending machine with things you could buy from. For me, it's going to be Sam's Club or you know some sort of large bulk discount store. Maybe it's even Walmart for you. You load the vending machines up, and you go find hotels. You go find public uh, rec facilities, and you just ask as a value add to their patrons, could you put a vending machine in their location? It takes some time to find the right person, decision maker, but 50% of the time, the people say yes. There's no placement fees. There's no revenue sharing. And so it doesn't sound sexy, right? But the, the secret is the digital swiper, because you can start to track inventory levels and you know when to go and replenish the system. So you're buying bags of, we'll say, Lay's potato chips for 30 cents a piece, and you're selling them for a dollar. No. Is that incredibly sexy? Absolutely not. But to me, when I have 20 machines and the average machine is netting me $1,100 a month, that starts to turn into real money. It's enough money that I have somebody else actually running the route to fill up all the vending machines all the time. And like, you can literally start that if all you have is $1,000 right now, you can start that business. You can buy one vending machine that'll be cash flow positive inside of two months, as long as you put it in the right location. And it's like, that is just as easy to me as finding another great thing is, is a blog, right? If you hop on a website like uh -huh. flippa.com, now I'm not associated with Flippa. I don't have an affiliate relationship. I've bought websites from them just like you might. Sure. But Flippa has a great marketplace for really simple blogs. If you're passionate about, um, for me, I'm a car guy. So if you're passionate about cars, like maybe there's a blog that's specifically about cars and some of the newest, latest, greatest, and it's got a little, little email, you know, list with it. You find content writers from somewhere else to, to edit your work. You create an automated system. You buy the blog for maybe one year's worth of earnings. And you figure out, gosh, I can create an affiliate relationship with AutoZone. And I can create an affiliate relationship with Road and Track Magazine. And literally just by doing those two things, instead of recapitalizing my investment in a year, I can recapitalize in eight months. And like, these are, these are micro acquisitions, Adam. These are $10,000 and under acquisitions that you can make, you know, 20, 30, $40,000 a year from with, I don't want to say minimal effort. Cause I think anybody that sits across the table from anyone and says, yeah, this is just as simple as pressing these three buttons and making $30,000 probably has ulterior motives. Everything takes a level of work, but the thoughts of ever, especially as you're listening and you're working a nine to five of feeling trapped behind a desk. And there's just way too many different ways right now to have a viable business be built out of things that are all around us all the time, right? Take, take that blog example. And let's really, really expand that. Let's say instead of one automotive blog, you found 10 automotive blogs and you could figure out how to owner finance the majority of them. Well, now all of a sudden you can pass the data back and forth between all 10 websites. You now have lists for each websites that are 10 times as large to email to. Yeah. 
you now have 10 times as much negotiating power for better uh, cost per click or cost per impression marketing. You get, you get better everything very, very quickly. And then we start to get into, in, in the M&A world, what would really be referred to in its own hybrid sense as a consolidated roll-up. So I'm now buying 10 individual businesses and I'm rolling them all into one larger business. That larger business with more revenue is worth a higher multiple of its revenue. So if I bought every individual business at one times earnings, but I combine 10 together, they're probably worth three times earnings. So the arbitrage on just knowing how to package things up together and then sell them off again, because the next level of the business game doesn't want to go through the hard work of finding the 10. They want to just buy one. And so now just for knowing how to do this, and you'll have to work hard over the period of you know six, eight months, maybe a year, but you've made two times the overall cash flow of the enterprise value of the business as a whole. And it's 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 almost criminal to me that our school systems that that there aren't more people just sharing how this really works. You don't have to have millions of dollars to jump into these games. You yeah, have true. A level of intellect, a level of ambition, a level of connections, I suppose, but really just a level of curiosity. At this point, Adam, I think almost anything you or I could ever want to find exists somewhere on YouTube, on Reddit, or on the internet. At like, this point, at this point, there's not much left new under the sun. Yeah, and as I as I like to say, there's not really anything new under the sun. Just like Ryan, which which you do. I mean, you do you do fantastic work. Um, however, we have had other people on the show who do things similar to what you do. You know what really makes your work special? You. Yep. It's your brilliance, your passion, your experience, which is different than anything else you'll see out there. I couldn't agree more, Adam. I mean, that's and so as you're sitting behind your desk or you're driving your car right now and you're, you're thinking about, man, I do want to get out of this nine to five. I'm going to keep tapping into, it starts with being brutally honest with yourself. What are you passionate about? What are you really good at? And then how much are you willing to suck it up when times are tough? Like that's, I feel like that's, we, I get the privilege of being on podcasting and spend time with brilliant individuals like yourself, Adam. But in those conversations, we don't talk about I'll say there's a level of darkness, there's a level of weight, there's a level of isolation, because you start to take this shift from an employee where you probably have other friends that are employees, you probably have family that are employees, the, the odds of having a bunch of entrepreneurial friends at that season of life are probably pretty low. Yeah, so uh, yeah, when I was uh, working a job, I didn't really have entrepreneurial friends, I had, uh, I had uh, uh, mentors who were also clients who happened to be entrepreneurs, that was like three people. Yeah. Exactly. And so from that point, you, you start to branch out, right? You're, you're ready. You found the business or you found the side hustle or you found the idea. You've squirreled away the capital, whether it's yourself or other people invested and you take the leap. And it's natural. You want to share with these people that are your friends, but you start to realize, at least in my history, the people that I thought were my friends were the quickest ones to want to cast dispersions on what I was about to do. That's not going to work. Right. You, do you don't have any idea how to do that. Why would you do that? That's not safe. You're going to lose all your money. And they, it almost felt like that was what they were hoping happened so that they could be right. And my conversations that I was having with them kept backing that up over and over again of like, has that, has that little business failed yet? It's not, uh -huh. not how can I help your business? Not, is there anything I can do to support you? I don't even need them to buy something from me. But it was literally like, has it failed yet? Ha not, not even how's that business doing? It's, has it failed yet? 
Yes. Adam, have you experienced that too? Did you experience any part of that in your journey? Oh, ab- absolutely. You know, I was told uh, when I made the jump from having my business as a side hustle to becoming a full-time entrepreneur, I was told, um, actually, I'm going to, let me, let me tell you what I was told and I'm going to back up one step and I'm going to give the example of how I discovered how real it was. I was told that within one year, my entire circle of friends would be different except for one person. And then the person who was still there would surprise me. That's what I was told. So let's back up to November, 2004. Now at this point, I'd had my side hustle for about a year and a half, give or take. I'd already formed a corporate entity around it. And I was uh, still a, a job ladder climber. And I was kind of going back and forth, which way I was going to go. Um, until this one day where I found out what an obtuse fucking moron my boss's boss was and the decision was made for me. So that night, um, I ended up speaking with my client in the side hustle, who was also a business mentor of mine. And uh, he told me basically two things. One of which was, if I went into work that following Monday morning, quit, walked out and showed him that I did, he would give me $3,000. I didn't take him up on the offer because for reasons I don't want to take up too much time on this show because I've covered on several other episodes. I just didn't have the belief system that things like that were even possible. The other thing he told me is, uh, okay, he said is when you get home, because I wasn't home when I had the conversation with him, go to your calendar and mark the day on your calendar exactly one year from today. So take that November day in 2004 and go to November 2005 and circle that day and uh, make a note to call him on that day. And that's all he said. So I made the note on my calendar and uh, I called him on that day one year later. And he said, oh yeah, so tell me, what are you doing in your life these days? By which time I had left the job, I had the I had the new business that was full-time. I was doing things I hadn't expected that I would be doing. I was having revenues and clients coming in that I never would have thought possible. Uh, My living situation completely changed, and my circle of friends had entirely changed except for one person. I love it. I love it because it's, it's it's so real. It's so true, and it's the thing that, to me, Adam, just doesn't get spoken enough, at least in the conversations I get to have, it doesn't get brought up enough that, yes, you as you're listening are more than capable of going and creating your own. I think you should. There is this chasm where it gets dark that it seems like most people just skip right over. You leave what's familiar. You risk what feels like everything. The people you associated with, the majority of them are not going to support you. Another majority of those are going to actually help you fail. And there's this 90 to 120 day window before the next season opens up in my experience, where you start to meet the new circle, where you meet the new tribe that supports you, where you invest in the right mentor, or you have someone that comes along and says like, no, no, you're doing it the right way. Or maybe you're doing it the wrong way. Both are equally as important. And it's like that, that 90 day window is where to me, more dreams die in that little season because of fear of guilt, of shame, of doubt. And they don't need to, you fight through and it works. Now, it doesn't work as well every day as you might hope it would be, but it works, right? I mean, Adam, you're here. I'm here. I don't yeah. have some fancy. You might have one. I don't have a fancy Harvard MBA. I, I, don't. I, uh, I, I do have an MBA from Duquesne University. <laughs> Beautiful. Yeah. And, so, and you, know, you know, the best part is the MBA paid off, but not in the way you'd think. Uh, so I got to know. It, Adam. Yeah. If we're, it, if we're, if we're fireside. How did, how did it pay off? I got to hear this because I'm real simple. getting one right now. Yeah. It's, it's, it's real, it's real simple. Um, 
I originally went for the MBA for the typical reason that somebody in their mid-20s gets an MBA. They graduate with a degree in political science and decide not to become a lawyer. Well, now their next step is they got to find a way to make real money, so they need a real business degree. The MBA is the best one. Uh, whatever it is you really want to do, do or think you want to do, just declare a concentration and take a couple extra courses. But the MBA basically gives you the the foundational knowledge that you can do pretty much anything in business. Uh, it's generalist, but it allows you to specify if you want to. And then if you decide you want to do something else, just join the relevant professional organization and uh, get their certification, keep up your, your CEUs. But anyway, how it paid off for me is not because it put me on some fast path in my career, but because as I developed as an entrepreneur, client, uh, you know, a couple of clients that were high ticket saw those three letters after my name and looked at other people who were doing the exact same thing that I was doing and said, oh, well, this guy's done case studies. He probably would be more of a strategic advisor than the other options. Let's try him. Got it. That's it. That's it. The MBA implies that you've done case studies, which actually is a significant part of the curriculum. So I, I appreciate you sharing that, Adam. I got accepted into an MBA program and I've been on the fence of whether there is value in me pursuing that at this point in my career or not. I felt called and compelled to expand my knowledge. I think that's another thing that is, as business owners, as entrepreneurs, as CEOs, whatever we want to call ourselves, that I feel a, an obligation and an excitement to consistently sharpen the sword. I want more information. I want more knowledge. I want to challenge my belief systems at all times. And I think the MBA might be a part of that, but it just might, right? I'm 38, had a yeah. couple successes, had a couple of shortcomings. And it's like, gosh, is it is it really worth the next 18 months of my life to get to get those three letters? Part of me says yes. What's 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 your advice to me, Adam? Uh, you know what? It's hard. I don't know enough about your situation, but what jumps out at me anyway is uh, de now, depending on where you've been accepted, uh, first of all, look at what reputation that school has as far as networking. Uh, part of getting an MBA and why I chose Duquesne University is because it's internationally recognized and you're almost bound, particularly in the market I was in at the time, to run into somebody else who had been through that program. And, you know, uh, familiarity uh, breeds uh commitment or confidence i don't know but uh but uh, yeah but not contempt point, not contempt definitely <laughs> not contempt no 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 but uh, the uh but the idea was uh but uh but i would say again it, it depends now what i look at is you have generated through your efforts more than a billion dollars for your clients so you already have a hell of a track record and i can only tell you what I was told for a little while, eight months and 16 days after I uh, graduated from my undergrad, which was political science, I worked as a recruiter for a temp agency. And part of what we did is uh, we placed temps in, uh, in human resource roles, like you know recruiters for projects and things like that. And uh, one of my contacts was Dr. Jay Leibowitz, who's now retired, uh, who was at the time the head of the uh, human resource curriculum at in the MBA program to Kane University. He sent me referrals and such. So, you know, it's going through my mind. What am I doing here? What's my life going to look like? And 
one day just on a whim i called dr Leibowitz, and i uh and he said, he said, sorry, man, I don't have anybody new for you. I just sent you everybody last week. I said, no, it's not about that. Uh, I said, you know, I've been wondering, should I maybe think about an MBA for myself? And he said, yes. And I said, well, are you sure about this? Because I graduated, I got my undergrad degree two years ago, and I've been in, I haven't been in school for two years, and they say that once you're out of school for a while, you kind of lose your touch or something like that. And here's how he explained it to me. He said, uh, what, so what did, you, what did you go to undergrad for? And I told him political science with minors in history and Middle East studies. Then he paused. He said, could you see yourself as a human resource director or a training and development director for an oil company? Uh, that was interesting. He very quickly made the connection between my minor and how it could give me an edge to move up in an oil company. Because a lot of oil comes to the Middle East. Having that cultural knowledge might give me an edge there. And then, he, and then what he said is that the reason I would want to pursue the MBA is because I'd been in the workplace for a couple of years and I'd seen how things were. So not only would I be better able to receive the information from the program because it would help me be more effective, but I would also have more of a vested interest because I've seen some of the crap that goes on in our, in our corporate <laughs> world. And, uh, and I'd be able to participate in, here it comes, case studies and uh, <laughs> discussions. And it would actually be more valuable to me as somebody who was already working and had seen some of it then somebody whose entire background was academic. So I went and applied and I got in. And I, I really appreciate that perspective, Adam. So my side right now, I've got those three companies I may mention of. Two of them will, gosh, they've, they've crossed a nine-figure mark in, in revenue. They're very profitable. It's We're to the season where it's time to sell those off. And I have good yeah. chunks of equity in both of those businesses. So there's going to be this new season that emerges for me where I'm, I'm contemplating, what do I want to do? What options do I want on the table? And the idea of being able to take the track record of the small market business and apply it to something larger, right? And, and can't say a Fortune 1000 company, but so, certainly something of larger scale and magnitude. It seems like a necessity in that is either a law degree or an MBA to back up a, a C-suite type title in that world. And so the, 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 comp, the college I was accepted to was Wharton School of Business. Okay. So, right. Certainly has a, a good track record behind it, a good, good alumni network. And it's just that back and forth of, gosh, it's, it's exciting on one side and the other side, it's, man, do I really want to go back to school? Do I want to experience that at, at that point? It'll be 39 to <laughs> 40, you know, and, and what am I really chasing? Which becomes a fascinating to me, ongoing conversation as any entrepreneur, like, what are we all chasing? What am I chasing at this point? Right. I'm, I'm not independently wealthy to the point that I can retire forever and, you know, the next six generations are taken care of. So I guess in theory, I'm chasing money, but it's really, as I got really clear with myself, actually over the past weekend, I disconnected and I'm chasing experiences. I'm chasing just the ability to know that I could do things. So no different than running the businesses that I run now. I didn't wake up one morning, stretch my arm and say, you know, I want to run a nutritional supplement company that does $150 yeah. million a year in sales. I, I, didn't, I don't 
I want to run a successful business that has multiple locations. That's exciting. But then it's right. It's what's next. It's the why. And I, it sounds almost so cheesy. Like, what's your why? What's your why? Uh-huh. But I think it's a necessary component. Like, why, why do we do the things that we do? What's the driver? How much of it is, in, for me as an entrepreneur, feelings of internal insecurity, of right, needing to prove myself to something or someone, even though that something or someone isn't paying any attention. Right? These are, these are the, the musings that go on in my mind, Adam, that are way off base of what we were originally <laughs> talking about. But it's, right. it, it, it's sitting here looking at it to say, as someone's listening, like there's this clear path and you're going to follow this path and it's going to work out eventually. Maybe. Maybe, but in the same aspect, there's part of me that's still the frightened nine-year-old child that's looking for my dad's approval, although he's given it to me a hundred times, that is still using that as energy to go fuel the next acquisition to prove that I'm more than I was yesterday. And it's like reconciling those internal thoughts and then switching that. Those used to be things that would cripple me. Those used to be things during my journey, right? Again, take that time of, of, of strife when I went broke. Those were things that were that were debilitating, right, where right. being able to work through with psychiatrists, psychologists, mentors, coaches, all types of different individuals, plant-based medicines, a little bit of everything, um, certainly has reformulated that and turned that into a, a position of power for me. Like, okay, this, this is just my makeup, so I might as well use that to create leverage and torque on the things that are important to me, at least in this season, realizing that, again, seasons change. So certainly. Use, yeah. And I, and I think that I think that's a great underpinning thing for everything we're discussing here is the idea that it's seasons. Uh, you know, as you as I've heard you say, why your business is unique, the plateau you're facing is not. Uh, so this is where your approach to business growth and optimization comes in. And you think about it, you. I mean, I've been through so many seasons myself, and my business has gone through a few different iterations. And where I am now is I work with entrepreneurs to help them launch their podcasts, their key networking, client attraction, and celebrity expert branding tool. Uh, now, funny thing, I developed this curriculum uh, during the worst of when the bug was flying around, yeah. and I gave it the name, the Podcast Reach System. R-E-H-C-H stands for something. It's an acronym. When I, I did purchase a few domains, of course, I own podcastreachsystem.com, duh. Uh, but when I hosted a website around it, I hosted www.thereachsystem.com, leaving out the word podcast for a very simple reason. I knew there'd be more seasons and more reach systems. And son of a gun, I'm in the process of developing one now. So you're going you're gonna to leave me on this cliffhanger. Do I get to know anything of what the new reach system is about? Nobody knows yet, um, but well, I will. I'm... But I but I will give a little teaser for our audience. I will give a I give a teaser. It's a result of my discoveries working with our podcast reachers and some of the best benefits and successes they've had using the podcast reach model. Oh, I love that! Isol isolating those and allowing those to be cross de deployed to different platforms. Got it. Well, I'm I'm excited to see. Well, how long before that launches, Adam? How long do you think before it gets to market? Uh, four to six weeks, maybe, give or take, depending on when somebody's listening. But then again, if you're listening a while from now, it could have been last year. <laughs> that, that, that itself is the beauty of podcasting. Not only is it meta, so you're allowed to goof up and forget what you were going to say like I did earlier, but you also have it 
stick around far longer than other forms of marketing. Like if you're running ads, second you stop paying, that ad's gone. Uh, your website, you stop paying the bill, it's gone. Your podcast sort of floats around out there, it gets on different platforms, it goes it goes viral, it goes meta, it gets quoted. Uh, I've had episodes of my podcast ripped off platforms and put on other platforms. Uh, currently, I I don't care as long as it's the actual guest doing it and they give me credit because it's in the uh, mutual rights disclaimer that you or your agent signed. So, mm-hmm. absolutely, I I love this, Adam. I love. I love the fact that you've came up with an idea and in four to six weeks, you're going to, and again, when you're listening, who knows if it, 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 I'm sure yeah. it'll be out by the time you're listening, but just from idea to initial, I'll call it beta version. What's that timetable look like for you? Well, it, um, as I said, it will, to me, it looks like about four to six weeks uh, and I'm being mm-hmm. realistic in terms of it. Here's what I, here's what I know. A lot of the curriculum already exists. It's just stuff I haven't published or at least not published within that context or that framework. Uh, when I created Podcast Reach, that essentially took me a couple weeks to compile. And then it took two attempts to record the foundational course. The reason being is the first time I did it, I was too obsessed with perfection. Well, so I had so I had so I had the curriculum broken into like 75 different miniature presentations and I was trying to get NPR quality audio by holding myself in an uncomfortable position without the air conditioner running on a Las Vegas summer when there was no swimming pool because of you know the bug and um couldn't freaking do it I just ended up not finishing it the first time you know what I did the second time went on my balcony uh bought about 10 cigars uh, took those 55 PowerPoints, uh, compressed them into nine, and just do the same, actually the same headset I'm using right now. And Camtasia just fired them out. So Adam, I, I love this for so many reasons, especially to tie it together with if you're inside of a business right now, climbing the corporate ladder and you want a side hustle. Perfection is the enemy of done. Yeah. Like in every aspect, to hear Adam that you came up with an idea from idea to execution. Let's even throw another two week variance in there. You got eight weeks into something that in, in my mind will inevitably make you millions of dollars over the course of its life and, and outlive you and I both, right? It's going to be a, a uh-huh. course training. It, there are things that, that are a true legacy play. And granted you've, you've honed in a muscle from 2004 until now, right? That's obvious. You would have had right. to, but nonetheless, as you are sitting here listening and, and scratching your head on like, what's next? What's the next thing? Something is always the next thing. Like do something, take one step, record a training that you don't know what you're going to do with it. Have a Dropbox folder filled with ideas or audio files or launch the podcast. It's like these things create momentum. Just like Adam has said, you've said to me, Adam, on the show, like, let's just talk and see what comes up. And as you're saying things that triggers things to me and hopefully vice versa, like that is to me how your business is going to grow. That is how the seasons start to change inside your life. It's it's the exploration of the possibilities, but in order to explore a possibility, you have to get off your ass and actually do something. You can't watch a Gary Vee video again on how to get motivated and how to flip something at a garage sale and expect that the video through osmosis is going to put money in your bank account. 
No, you also can't watch the one where he says, oh, for all you people who say you don't have time to exercise, look at me. I found time to exercise, and it's 4 o'clock in the morning. And, <laughs> yeah. and, 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 and plus, uh, sometimes I watch his videos, and, and, you know, and I, I feel like I've learned something from the guy. And I actually um, – and uh, it's actually part of the podcast reach curriculum. It's within the pre-editing process segment. We actually have a set of parameters that – help you decide whether or not you should use profanity on your podcast now me i fucking don't give a shit it's my show (laughs) but uh and uh and 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 i align with gary on that actually i mean but sometimes you watch his videos how many times can you hear the guy say fuck until you get the idea that he's blunt yes (laughs) yes exactly but but, but, but the funny thing is it works for him it's authentic Mm mm-hmm now, some now somebody else who doesn't have that type of personality, if they try and emulate him and think that just because he throws that word around, that if they start throwing that word around, they'll be seen as the next Gary Vaynerchuk. No, they'll be seen as is the next uh, person who's trying to copy a model that they don't even understand, much less can find a center of authenticity with. Couldn't agree more. And I think, and I think that's where a lot of people messed up. We've alluded this a couple times, so. We're near the top of the hour, but I want to share something that actually you inspired me to think about way back in our conversation, and uh, this is going to be an interesting place to end up. So one of the questions I get is, what project management system should you use when you have an asynchronous virtual team? And, you know, you have teamwork, you have Monday, you've, uh, I think, a Santa's one of them. God knows there are a thousand names out there. So here's what I recommend when you're selecting a project management software that allows you to manage prospects across your asynchronous virtual team. It's got to fulfill what you need in your business right now. It's got to fulfill where you think your business is going to be in six months. It's got to have the ability to create dependency trails because that helps to ensure that people actually meet their deadlines. And what's most important is it has to be fun to use. Because if your team doesn't enjoy it, they will not adopt it, no matter how many times you pound the desk about the importance of the project management system. You will find yourself very quickly in a place where you have to allow them to thumb their nose at your project management system in exchange for them being willing to still work with you. So again, works now, works in six months, creates dependencies, and is fun. I bring this up, and I think it's the place for us to end, is because anything you do, whether you're doing a side hustle, whether you're building value in your business toward an eventual sale, it's got to be fun, or you're not going to do it. Might as well just unplug your mic and never record another podcast, Adam. That's, a, that's yeah. an incredible way to end that. Uh-huh. I couldn't agree more. Well, uh, well, we have many more episodes of the Business Creators <laughs> Radio Show. Uh, we're, we're over 500 episodes and counting one of the longest continuously running entrepreneurial podcasts on the air today since September 2013. And we're just we're just getting warmed up. So <laughs> let, me, uh, let me extend the invitation here. Uh, everybody, check out Ryan Nidal's website. It's www.ryannidal.com. So that I'll spell that for you. R-Y-A-N-N-I-D-D-E-L.com. Go there, find out more about Ryan, see what he's, see what he offers. Uh, I know that he has a lot of 
different uh, solutions. You can discover more about some of his teachings on this stuff. As you can see, he's a pretty cool guy, fun to hang out with. And if you have an interest in some of the things we've discussed today, take it to that next level. Step up. Because even if you believe in reincarnation, you still only get to do this life once, and you don't get to pick what your next life will be. And with that, Ryan Neidl, thank you so much for being with us today. It's been an honor, and believe me, an education. Thanks, Adam. Appreciate our time together. We trust you enjoyed today's episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. Check out our previous and upcoming episodes on our website at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. While you're there, be sure to subscribe via your favorite network so you get fresh episodes delivered straight to you. Until next time, have a great day. Take care.